Hello, everyone. Welcome to Brontide. So I think the pressing question right now is what exactly is Brontide? Brontide. And why would we name a podcast Brontide? Brontide <laughs> is the low rumbling in the distance from that that storm on the horizon, right? It's the uh, often noise associated with seismic tremors, things that are moving in the distance. And what's interesting, I think, is this idea and this analogy of the world today is so full of radical and disruptive change, right? It's it's tectonic in scale, the nature of the changes that we're facing. And often as we're facing these changes, we don't fully understand the complexity, yet we're hearing the murmurs, right? We're being impacted by the sight in the distance, yet we've yet to experience it completely. We're not standing in the downpour, but we see it on the horizon. And I think Brontide is uh, an attempt and an endeavor to understand those changes more acutely um, and to discuss things that we think are the murmurations on the future, uh, on the horizon of the future that that we find compelling and interesting. So that's that's Brontide, and that's what we're going to do in these conversations, I hope, right? Absolutely. And I I love the idea of, of a rumbling and then knowing that something's happening, but the like bigger happening hasn't occurred yet. Because we're in our largest moment of choice then. When we're aware that things aren't going to stay the same, they're not remaining calm. This isn't just any other day. Mm-hmm. But we're also not in the center of complete and utter chaos at all times that like a big storm could bring, right? Where you just have to hunker down in order yeah. to stay safe. And so I'm curious about how we open up this invitation to be a part of co-creating the change that the world is needing and wanting and inevitably going to be having. It's not predetermined which ideological pathway, quote unquote, wins out or which trajectory we go on the more of us who actively participate in the knowing and the creating of what happens with impending change, and the more we actually have an ability to shape the future that we want to live in. Mm, so well said. One of the things I'm really excited about in these conversations is us discussing what it means to be agents of change. I feel like all three of us have connected so deeply with each other because we have a lot of similarities in the way that we have a very future oriented mindset. We, we love to vision. We love to like see the way things are going and see the trends. Uh, and I think there's so many interesting aspects of being an agent of change and a visionary. Um, I, one of the things that comes from comes to me is uh, feeling you're really ultimately trusting an intuition. And it's like a deep kind of felt uh, there's like a deep sense uh that's that that you feel when you feel like uh things are changing things are headed in a better direction things need to change 
there's a there's an intuition and kind of a deep knowing there's a trajectory to where everything is going mm. that makes you follow that that impulse and that uh that that feeling and at the same time as you're following that feeling you're also shaping the future too mm. so it's a it's about a a deep kind of feeling of the fact that things are changing that there's a rumble coming and that following that very intuition you're also acting as an agent who's manifesting and actualizing that change mm. uh, so there's this kind of dual nature to the fact that uh we both we follow we all of us have followed our intuitions and follow our hearts in this regard and our work is like actively shaping and, and changing that future and we, we want all of our voices to play a role in that um so i guess what i guess where I'm, I'm, my question is uh for all of us i would love for all of us to go around and, and kind of talk about how what makes us feel that change is coming um how what what is our journey what is our relationship with this kind of knowing that uh change is coming and uh what is our relationship to the impending uh thunder and brontide that's a great question you're looking at me so i'll go first <clears throat> um i mean first i just love this idea that we have a much greater participatory role in defining the fault lines of human civilization than we think we do, right? Mm -hmm. That um, especially now, you know, we, we've all been born into a society that has indexed itself on empiricism, right? And 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 uh, factuality and and the ability to measure any given phenomenon as a quotient of truth, <clears throat> and so we've as a society indexed on on that and what you're getting at is that there's also a role for imagination right that it's not derivative and deterministic that the future is still something that isn't just to be predicted but to be projected right mm -hmm. it's through our through our our visioning and our collective imagination and intelligence that we can be uh, driven by wonder and informed by data and insight and science and research, but that we don't have to be constrained or tethered to the parameters of the empirical. And there's a liberation there, I think, for all of us as we envision the, the world that we want to live in and the world that we want to create. And so I think that's my relationship to these themes is in, you know, my professional and personal life someone interested in understanding uh the meta systemic mediating platforms of society and culture <clears throat> and um how do we shape those through our uh relationships and through our organizations and through our tools and technologies um and be participatory right and so as we put our uh hand on the ground and feel the tremor so to speak um we're also looking up and saying you know we can live in a world that looks like this and even though these these disruptions are here and they won't go away anytime soon uh and the pace at which disruptions are happening is accelerating uh we have a choice and we can be um active 
or we can be passive. And I think that um, there seems to be a swell of interest in being active right now. Um, there's like a zeitgeist moment at this moment in human history of people having more of a participatory active role in shaping the world that we want to live in. And we're crossing a threshold uh, into something that's new territory and unknown, but also really exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, what about you, Tina? As you talk about all this, the the place that I go is like, how do we how do we have a sense that this is actually what's happening? How do we know we're headed in a direction of co-creating new reality instead of just, I don't know, waking up 10 years from now and realizing that all of our efforts were for naught or something, you know, and that we made the whole thing up. And it's really exciting to me the more that I learn about how consciousness takes and evolution takes leaps, it doesn't tend to happen linearly one step at a time. And, and our brains, our rational minds from the part that we classically think of as, as sitting around and thinking, contemplating something or rationalizing our way through something has a pretty limited amount of information to be using to be going in whichever direction we we think we're going at the time and sure we can read more books and we can have more conversations and we can expand that there's still like an inherent limitation to what each one of us carries and yet all it takes is like taking a step back and realizing the depth and breadth of what we all have together and that to create something with that, that would take a leap. And so going back to the personal, anytime I've had a leap in life, it hasn't been because I've sat here and rationally thought about how I'm going to get to the next place and then done some logic or some calculations or something or fact finding and then, and then really been able to get there. It's, be, it's because actually I've given myself space or quiet, or I've let myself grieve, cry, get mad, release, let go, surrender. And then there's space. And in that empty space, new things emerge that I couldn't have even guessed. They weren't a part of my previous paradigm. So if I've had that experience so directly, and we have every reason to believe that that's how like evolutionary processes occur outside of ourselves. These leaps, the leap from a, a baby chick pecking open the eggshell and all of a sudden there's an entire world to explore. You know, the, these, the, the butterfly emerging from a cocoon. There are so many metaphors we can use in nature, but it, it really does seem to be how a lot of this thing goes here on earth. And so as we feel into all this, it's really easy and exciting and feels important to point out the like mystical, magical, almost otherworldly nature, otherworldly from the world of rationality. 
nature of the way that these things emerge and what kind of postures towards life, what kind of invitations we give ourselves for stillness or silence or clearing out that actually like allow these things to come in and change. And so in a way, it's almost like, I don't know that things are changing in the future. I mean, the outside world's telling us there's a lot of chaos right now. But what I really know is that whenever there's been rumblings within me, there have been leaps. And so then I look to the outside world and I'm like, oh, there's rumblings. So there's probably going to be some leaps. Oh, man, I love that so much. And I love that you mentioned uh, those kind of phases of evolution, how we can actually look back on the history of humanity and the history of development. And we can actually take a lot of lessons from that history. I, I um, It's shown that humanity has a, has evolved through developmental phases. And these, there's these kind of time periods where there's these certain phases where things were the, the norm and the things were a certain way. And the phase beyond the always the phase that came after the the current phase always had some properties some qualities some ways that can never fully be fathomed if you were only mm. if you were still in the current phase and the way that that shift happened from going from one phase to another phase developmentally is there reached a certain level of pain and dysfunction in the current phase because the current phase wasn't equipped to handle the added complexity and mm -hmm. dynamics of the world. And I truly feel that we're in that, that mm -hmm. part of the phase right now. And I think uh, me being part of uh, Gen Z, the Gen Z generation, I feel like we were my, it's interesting when I look around at my generation, it feels like we were born into, uh, we were born into feeling, fully feeling the pain of the we were born into the Brontide. Uh, uh, born into the Brontide because we were we were fully we were born into the inadequacies of this current phase. So it's very yeah. interesting when I look at people my age. It's either it's like almost like two polarities. It's like people are either really really fired up and really angry at the system, or there's kind of almost this like depressive kind of nihilism. And it's mm -hmm. that that speaks to that points uh, to me to. Uh, this almost kind of intensity of the pain of this current phase not working. So I, I actually get a tremendous amount of hope of seeing how much stuff doesn't work right now, because that's usually an indicator that we're, we've reached the end of this current phase. Mm -hmm. um, so weirdly enough, paradoxically, it's actually the crumbling and the way that things aren't working that actually gives me a bunch of hope. Because if you look back on history, that's actually a sign that the next phase is coming into development act, uh, uh, currently. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many directions that I want to go there. I mean, I think like you're touching on this idea that culturally we're defined by one or multitude of well, one or more of three char primary characteristic traits, either you're, you lean into amnesia, right. And you just kind of like put the blinders on or you go to anesthesia where you go to different things about self-medication and numbing yourself out, or you sit in awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And that where you feel the weight of the world around you and you don't put the blinders on, right? That also leads to another AAA thing, which is that like awareness agency asymmetry, right? So we're all through technology and media 
aware of all these things that are happening, but our agency has atrophied or is insufficient, right? Uh, because evolutionarily, our agency hasn't been developed to impact, uh, have a global scale of impact, uh, unless you leverage these meta systems that we've only created in the last few hundred years. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff there that we could go into. I also, Tina, you said some things around, you use the word emergence, which I also think is really interesting because emergence gets to conditions, right? What kinds of conditions are we contributing to and cultivating that lead to maybe unpredictable outcomes? And so there's a whole conversation that would be lovely to have there. And then you also said something around like the internal like trimmer. And to me, I had been thinking about Brontide as this external thing, right? That we in some way are sensing through intuition, but it's external to us. But there's also, I think what I felt you getting at is an internal Brontide. There is an internal murmur and trimmering along some sort of tectonic line, right? That we are either numbing ourselves to or trying to put the blinders on to or we're aware of mm -hmm. and i think that the the nature of the relationship that we have with our internal brontide determines the conditions that we cultivate through which our future will emerge mm -hmm. and so it does start with us right it does start at the individual level of stillness awareness and holding that grief and that gratitude and the paradox of those things all at once of the what it means to be human um that that is a, a i think a, a beautiful starting point i feel like we have at least a few episodes in what you just laid out there and those are all really exciting points to explore i'm curious what feels most like alive for you today trace i love that i what's coming up for me right now is how the external is always a reflection of the internal uh, and i think that this is a, a core problem that we're dealing with uh today as we look at how much violence and conflict uh is that there, there is out in the world which is a very like external observable phenomenon but that's only mirroring internal violence within people mm -hmm. it's only a the, the conflict within people is is then manifested in the external conflict that happens with other people. I mean, I think about uh, politically, like in this country, in the United States, like how polarized uh, we are and how polarized our political system is, how polarized the debate and the dialogue is. Um, and it's coming from a deep, we have a very unhealed, uh, mm -hmm. unhealed humans right now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's There's a deep, sense of conflict and, and turmoil within all these people that then has been reflected in um, our dialogue. Uh, so I, so, I mean, it always comes back to me, uh, healing, healing is a, as a primary uh, need for our, our species. If this, if this human, uh, human experiment is going to, to survive, it's going to require collective healing because um, all of our, so much of our internal turmoil is, is then manifesting externally and, and it can't, it's unsustainable for this to continue because if we just continue to have external conflict, um, that won't, that's not sustainable on a finite planet. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, it's always, whenever we talk about changing systems, whenever we talk about, uh, changing the world, it always, I mean, it, it can kind of sound cliche sometimes, but it does start internally. It does actually start. How are we 
coming to peace with ourselves. How are we loving ourselves? How are we um, healing ourselves? Um, because that's actually how the world changed. The external always comes from the internal. Well, and it's humans. It's 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 individuals acting collectively for the most part who start wars, yep. who pr- continue and perpetuate war, who are promoting violence. Like, and also on the other hand, it's individuals who are acting collectively who create governmental systems who decide on who is going to represent them in government who creates board of directors that create companies that create an entire business culture that create family systems. Like I don't actually foresee a possibility of creating really high level functional, healthy systems with a bunch of unhealed people as the creators. Like, yeah. It it just, that doesn't seem like a very likely road that, uh, you know, is going to lead to the outcomes that we're really desiring. And as you we were talking about power, I think we have such a large scale, and I can only speak for U.S. American culture. Um, and even that's a, you know, obviously that has many, many definitions and facets to it, but such a complex relationship with our own power that we struggle to understand how we really can be of benefit using our power because we see so many ways in which power plays out in a really harmful way towards other people, towards the environment, uh, towards ourselves. And yet if each person truly owned their deep heart-centered, value-driven, boundary-aligned power, how different of human interactions would we have? How much more creativity would we have? How much more, like, could the collective be changing and co-creating and you know, birthing into reality, how much quicker if we were willing to actually own the truth of how powerful we, we really are from our core, but that power doesn't come from the place of scarcity or power over other people or domination. It comes from this huge gift. I call it a gift of grace that we're given a human life, that we're given breath, that we're given a body like there's no explaining why we got that gift and here we are. And so to think we can rationally understand our power and move from there leaves it in the realm of polarity and power over versus acquiescing and all that kind of stuff. Whereas when we sink into our bodies and our hearts, they're inextricably connected to all that is then we can start pulling from the the true place of our power, which is infinite and abundant. Mm. Power is an interesting concept. I think that, you know, years ago that I was reading this uh, philosopher and he had this great, I forget his name now, but he had this great idea of there's right-handed power and there's left-handed power. Mm -hmm. Right-handed power is the power of the dictator and left-handed power is the power of the martyr, right? That there's, 
there's power in the way that the dictator exercises power, which is dominion, control, authority, right? Then there's power that the martyr ex you know, exercises, which is power of influence and um, the power of, of really genuine, like the genuine and authentic display of humanity. Mm. Um, and reminding through mirroring other humans of their humanity, right? And, and their humanness. Um, and so the appeal to your humanity is the power of, of the people like, you know, um, you know, people like maybe uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer in World War II or, um, you know, folks who, who have been, um, you know, significant advocates of, of social and cultural transformation and change, Martin Luther King Jr., people like that. Um, that's a different kind of power. But I also wonder, like, when you say, Tina, uh, coming to know who we are, and and in my mind, power is tied to a sense of self and an understanding of self. So how how do we how do we get to authentic self? And what is the self? And um, maybe I'd love to hear both of you actually speak to to that. Do you want to jump in first? You want me to go first? You go first. So it's interesting because I feel like we find the authentic self by letting go of everything that we're not. Because if we only search for an understanding of the self through the mind, then we're just creating new projections of what we think we are, what we think we want to be, as opposed to allowing the intuition to kind of emerge and show us who we truly are. And I think back to Trace's point, I think it requires healing for both of us. Um, meditation practice has been huge for this. Um, healing big T trauma and little T trauma. So we would define big T trauma as, you know, you got shot, you got raped, you got badly abused you went to war those are traumas that we kind of understand culturally to be traumas but then there's all these things what we would call quote unquote much smaller um that happen just by being a human being i was uh i was observing our puppy the other day and he had been waiting by the door for a little bit to be let out to go to the bathroom and i was thinking about the fact of how many micro needs the puppy has on a daily basis. And I'm aware of some percentage of them, but inevitably not all of them. And it's it, sometimes it's easier to see something that's simpler that doesn't talk to us and all that and have like, you know, so in a way it was kind of like this breakthrough happened because I was looking at a dog, but then you take that to a kid, a, a human child, and we're aware of how many at least as we do this work of uncovering, um, we start to come to this place of our own humanity and how being human comes with all these macro and micro needs on a day-to-day -day basis. And no matter how amazing your caretaking is, your parents or whomever raised you, no matter how amazing your schooling experience was or wasn't, no matter, no matter any of this, it's impossible especially as young people 
for us to have every macro and micro need met 100% of the time. It's just, we're way too, our emotional landscape, I think as humans is just way too complex to be able to get it, just to get it right. And so instead of aiming for some type of perfection, what if we can see that this whole thing is perfection and that we weren't, we didn't come here with too many needs or our caretakers didn't fail us, but rather it's this whole learning experience that provides us this grist for deepening compassion and um, a deepening ability to nurture ourselves and others. And through all of this exploration, I think we come to know who we truly are. We start to see, oh, I have this tendency or, huh, interesting. I seem to have the same emotional reaction to this thing time and time again. What if I just don't like go full bore into believing the entire emotional drama this time? What if I just observe it? I wonder if if the rest of the play plays out differently today. Um, And so I think there's some like very almost universal things around that. And then I also think that there's an element of our natural curiosities are inevitably different from one person to the next person. And if we let those play out and we follow hobbies, we follow things we're good at, we follow things we're interested in, we start to actually learn like this, the stuff we came with for lack of a better term. And maybe the stuff we came with again is also perfect. Instead of trying to make every single one of us into a perfect student, according to this particular set of curriculum or a perfect athlete, according to this particular sport and skill set, instead, like, how do we cultivate this ability to take what each and every one of us has and bring it out to the fullest? So I think there's like a lot of surrender and letting go in that and releasing ideas of who we thought we were, thought we should be. I think it's very interesting to me that there are so many personality assessments and Trace and I find some of them to be quite interesting and quite compelling as long as they are actually there in service of allowing us to witness some of our consistent behavior patterns so that we can embrace again, like humility and compassion and uh, a sense of humor around how we express ourselves as opposed to taking it as some sort of fixed reality of like, oh, well, this astrological chart says that I'm this and therefore I'm always going to be stubborn and bullheaded and shop too much. Like that's it's just not very helpful, you know? So it's very interesting because I think when we first hear like finding out who we truly are, sometimes we tend to go into things like that of like, well, I'm just this way or that way. It's like, it's only one layer deep. And yet who we, who we truly are hopefully could provide us 
lifelong, interesting, intuitive exploration. Mm, mm. Yeah, to me, the authentic self is giving voice to all the different parts of ourself. So we have all of these different uh, internal energies within us. And growing up in the world, oftentimes we have some of those internal energies kind of shut down. We were told that those uh, aren't appropriate to express. They're uh, not allowed here. Those are, we, we start to learn from our environment that certain certain some of these energies uh, are I shouldn't have or I should quiet down or I should suppress. Um, and this leads to dysfunction and this leads to dysfunction later in our lives because we have, I mean, this, this takes a myriad of different forms. Some people just kind of have like a yearning uh, to just kind of live more as their authentic self, but they can't exactly put their finger on what that looks like or why that is. Um, some people have like serious, um, serious dysfunctions that are really like really interfering with their life. It takes a lot of different forms, but to me, coming back to our authentic self is really letting all of these energies uh, express and, and giving a voice to all of them, really listening to all of them. I think about, um, and I'm sure you guys relate, like after crying, uh, I always feel like way more like authentic and like connected to myself. That's maybe the way I would describe it. Uh, but yeah, I always feel like peaceful and washed out, peaceful, washed out, and just like more connected to myself. And I think about that crying was like giving, letting that voice express itself, giving voice to some energy that needed to be uh, expressed. So um, there's so many, we all have different parts of ourselves. I mean, we, I mean, we all have an inner child and there's, you know, some people have, uh, different, an artist, a, uh, a inner warrior. There's so many different kind of archetypes that make up these internal energies. But when we allow them to really have a voice, and when we meet the, when we meet all of those voices with love and compassion, rather than suppressing them and telling them they're not okay, uh, we're really moving into wholeness and moving into more a more authentic self. Mm -hmm. um, so I like thinking about that, like kind mm -hmm. of putting voices to all of these energies and not meeting those voices with uh, the same energy that the world met those voices mm -hmm. with, which is saying, no, quiet down. You shouldn't be here, but meeting them with love and acceptance, mm -hmm. um, because that's ultimately all leading us back to just self-love and self-acceptance, which mm -hmm. is how the authentic self flourishes. Yeah. So good. So it's almost as if <clears throat> in an age in which we are perpetually haunted by the brontide, right? The murmuring thunder of disruption and change and uncertainty. That, that itself is a provocation and a call to us as humans and individuals to listen to the brontide in our mm -hmm. selves and to begin to identify the fault lines that are creating that seismic murmur between the parts of us in which there might be tension, in which parts maybe are stepping over others or suppressing others. And to be a witness to maybe the suppressed parts of us that they, uh, the, the suppressed parts of us that are looking to be seen and looking to be heard and ultimately are the origin of that internal bronchitis. And in doing so, we can harmonize those internal energies, like you were saying, right? That, that the sense of equilibrium and ultimately wholeness are found in that reconciliation of those parts by listening to that internal brontide. And that if we can start there, 
we are exponentially more equipped to face the ex external disruption and the external uncertainty and the lingering storm on the horizon. But it's not about placing our focus on the storm on the horizon. It's about focusing on ourselves that equips us to navigate that storm. Is that a fair summation? Would you add to that at all? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the only thing that I would say is we, we tend to have a loud enough voice of fear within us that it's understandable to sense internally or externally that brontide, that rumble, that tension, and want to kind of just hunker down immediately, even if even if it's only on the horizon and not right in front of us right now. And what I've learned through life experience is actually to your point of being better equipped for inevitable change. When we're willing to take that rumbling, feel a slight sense of fear, but say, okay, this is actually the invitation. This is the time to roll. This is the time to start working on this thing. Um, for some reason, this really stuck with me. I was in a yoga class years ago and the teacher had us in chair pose, which is like a deep squat with your arms in the air. And she said, we practice this when it's easy so that we have our breath when it's hard. And what she meant by in class being easy at the time, nobody was feeling, no one's quads were feeling that that chair pose was particularly easy in that, in that moment. It, she had us in there for a, a while. And also we were in a yoga class on our own yoga mats with our own free will mm. and we could have stood up or laid down at any moment in time and no one would have said a word and so the ability to breathe through the tumult the pain the constriction whatever it feels and just keep breathing is the exact thing that gives us the ability to breathe through when the storm is here. So my dad passed this time of year, five years ago. And when he was first diagnosed with the cancer that ended up being terminal, I remember the day mom and I were sitting in the waiting room of the hospital while he was under anesthesia being poked out and prodded out so that he could have a diagnosis. Those moments, there's nothing you can do but breathe. You're most likely about to get the worst news that you've maybe gotten in your whole life. And at the same time, freaking out just doesn't actually, it doesn't change the news. And it only takes our own bodies through a heck of a trip and makes us a lot less equipped to greet the person who, when they come out of anesthesia, they're going to get that news too. And so I remember sitting there taking my mom through breath exercises and thinking back to that day in yoga class in chair pose and saying, this, this is why we breathe when it's easy. 
is because of moments like this so that we actually can have some sense of an ability to stay calm and really be there for ourselves and for our loved ones. And so I guess part of the invitation for all of this is whether the brontide is within you and you haven't started to explore it yet or whether you're sensing it externally and that's bringing up some fear start wherever you're curious start wherever you feel called start with that place of that thing that you know you've been avoiding for however long because the sooner that we actually face the inevitability and gain tools around it, the better equipped we are able to handle all of the rest of life's inevitable drama. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll even be in a position like the three of us are of hoping to be a part of creating what's next because each of us believes that what's next does fully have the possibility of being more beautiful than what we're experiencing right now. Mm, I love that so, so much. It's so beautifully said. Uh, I think when we head in, uh, when, when we head into, when we head into the discomfort in ourselves and when we deal with the the challenging energies that are coming up in ourselves and those like challenging, difficult moments like Tina just talked about, when we fully go into those and then come out on the other side, what we always find is that on the other side, it's always more beautiful. We're always more connected to our authentic selves. It's it's always lighter on the other side of heading through that darkness. And when we do the internal work to really go through that process, then we're able to meet the world in the same way because the future is uncertain. The future does feel catastrophic sometimes. The future is scary. But when we have repeatedly gone through that process in our life of heading into the uncertain and what's scary and coming out on the other side and knowing that it's always more beautiful on the other side within ourselves, then we are meeting the world in that same way. Then we are becoming agents of change that are know that heading into the uncomfortable aspects and the uncertainty of the future, we're heading in for a deep love that there, a deep love and a faith that there is there's light on the other side. There's always mm-hmm. something better on the other side. It's mm-hmm. like that faith gets cultivated through actual real experiences and real transformation that we experience ourselves. So for all agents of change and all people that want to participate in this future that feel the Brontide, uh, the the ability to meet it, meet the Brontide, how it needs to be met uh, is met by going internally first mm-hmm. and dealing them with them, them with the external. So it always comes back to that mirror um, and anything we create uh, is going to be a reflection of our internal state. So if we haven't done the healing, if we haven't done that process within ourselves, we're just going to be repeating the same systems and the same patterns. Mm-hmm. So it always starts uh, internally. I don't know if you could say it better. I think that's a great place to wrap. And I'm super excited to see where this conversation goes and how we continue unpacking and exploring these themes So it's really exciting. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This was such a blast.